Welcome to the Paradigms and Perspective Podcast. I am your host, Joe Simmons, and on this podcast, we talk about paradigms and perspectives and how people can achieve different results just by changing their paradigm and their perspectives. Let's get started with today's episode. Have you ever wanted to know a secret? A real secret. And no, I'm not talking from the movie The Secret. I've already done episodes in regards to the movie The Secret. But in this episode, I want to talk about the number one way to become a millionaire and the number one way to become a billionaire. That's right. The number one way to become a millionaire is through mastery. And the number one way to become a billionaire is through investing. Yes, you heard that right. The number one way to become a millionaire is through mastery. Now, I know that's not talked about. It's usually always what vehicle or you, you got to get real estate. You got to start a business. You got to do forex or now crypto. That's the number one way that I'm going to become a millionaire. But what do they all have in common? They all have a common mastery. And this is exactly how I opened up my book, Mad Money, 12 Foundational Principles to Make More Money and Half the Time and Half the Stress. And I talk about the importance of mastery and mastery being the number one way to make more money and half the time and half the stress. But mastery is also the number one way to become a millionaire. If you take all millionaires in the world and you come up with the number one thing that they all have in common, And that would be that they all mastered their craft. And they all became masters in their industry. And using the four foundational principles of mastery in the upcoming segments, I'm going to talk about what those four principles are. And those are the first four. These are concepts based on the first four chapters in my book. Uh, mad money. So, stay tuned. First up, and the most important principle of all when it comes to mastery, and really, I feel like when it also when it comes to life as well is knowledge acquisition. That's right. So, chapter one is based on knowledge, but in this segment, we're gonna talk about the concept of knowledge acquisition. That's right. All millionaires. Are masters, and the first step is knowledge acquisition. You have to learn your craft, and you have to learn your industry. One is internal, one is external. So, learn your craft, and you have to learn your industry. The problem is, is that so many people are under knowledge. They have a huge deficiency when it comes to knowledge acquisition. Then they want to know why they don't achieve their goals and why they don't achieve their dreams. It's because of knowledge acquisition. You got to get the proper knowledge. But on top of that, you got to be willing to put in the work also to get that knowledge. Because some knowledge is through experience. And I want to talk about there's only three primary ways in which you can be good at knowledge acquisition, or there's three primary ways that you can acquire knowledge. 
Number one, experience, like I mentioned previously, but when I say experience, I mean trial and error. That means that you have to go out, try something, and if it doesn't work, you focus more on the lesson and learning than the failure. As Master P said, it's a, a L is not a loss. It's a lesson. So when you go out and try, look for the lesson. Don't look at it as it's a loss. Because the sooner you look for the lesson, and then when you get to try again and you learn from that lesson, because here's the thing. When you try and you quote-unquote fail, which is what I feel like is a learning adjustment, or as Jim Rohn, the great philosopher, said, it's just a few wrong errors in judgment. But when you fail or when you don't achieve your goal the first time, you're not starting from the beginning. That's the thing I love about knowledge and about experiences. You're not starting from the beginning. Now you have an advantage versus somebody who didn't start or who's never started. They start all the way from the beginning. You know that you already tried this. And then when you find a lesson, you know where you went wrong at. So you get to accelerate the process. They're going to start off slow. Because it's their first time, it's their first experience, they don't know. But you, you've already had the experience. So you know, you kind of know what to expect. Now all you got to do is just make the necessary adjustment. So the first thing, first way to, to learn or to acquire knowledge is trial and error. The second way which I feel like is better, is research. So, this is what I'm saying. Research. Research what it is that you want to do. This will also help you come out the blocks faster than if you just, okay, say, trial and error. Now, I know this is going to get caught up in, well, Joe, the whole strategy versus execution debate. And I wrote an article on LinkedIn about that. But the thing about it is, is this, though. You want to do research because it helps. Now, and like I said, that's more of a strategy thing. Now, the execution thing come in or the way it is curlish is because you don't want to research all day. You don't want to over-research. You don't want to do so much research where you, you lock yourself into a box. And you get to the point where you actually try to execute that research. And you're like, well, the research says this. But the experience and the lessons might be outside of that research. So now you got a problem. Now you got a conflict. Now you have a dilemma. So research adequately. Not only that, you also want to give yourself uh, the opportunity to learn something through experience. Because if you just research everything and there's, there's no novelty, which will help you get in the flow, which is a flow trigger... If there's nothing new, there's no novelty, then that experience is not really going to be fulfilling. So, yeah, you may have a, and for all you analytical folks that are very detailed and have to know every single step, yeah, that's fine. Because you want to, you focus more on not l losing, because you uh, tend to not focus on the, uh, on, the, on, the, on the lesson, you focus more on the loss but you're not going to have a optimal experience 
by having everything researched and it go exactly according to plan because we all like novelty. Just like Tony Robbins talked about it, one of uh, his six needs is the idea of uncertainty, unpredictability. Sometimes you like to be blown away. You like to be surprised. Now, I'm not saying that should be a primary strategy, but what I'm saying is, is that research and execute. So don't be on the extremes. Don't spend so much time researching that you don't get started or that you take longer than you you should take. But don't just go out there, execute, 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 and trial and error, trial and error. When if you would have took a little bit time to research, you probably could have avoided the loss and you probably could have found a lesson sooner with less impact or risk impact. So, research is the second way. But my personal favorite is to find an accelerator. And for those of you who are not familiar with my accelerator concept, it's there's five accelerators. There's mentors, there's consultants, there's coaches, there's trainers and advisors. In short, find somebody who either has done what you want to do or who knows somebody that that has done what you want to do. And it can be anybody that knows more than what you know. They will accelerate your learning curve because like I said, they've either done it or they know somebody who has done it. Now, you may have to pay some type of conversation. A.K.A. value. You go, they have, they're going to have, more than likely have to be an exchange of value. That could be either through time, money, or expertise. So, there either has going to be a compensation exchange or the old school barter and trade exchange. But there has to be some type of value exchange for them to accelerate your process. Hence the reason why they're called accelerator. So when it comes to getting knowledge, you can pick which way you want to go. You can say, hey, you know what? I'm just going to go trial and I'm going to figure this out myself. No problem. It's the cheapest, but it also takes the longest. Or you may say, take route number two and say, hey, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and research this first. Now, I'm not going to spend too much time, but I'm going to go ahead and research it. Or, which may be the most expensive, but it's the quickest and the fastest, I'm going to find an accelerator that can help me with this knowledge. So, recap. The three ways to get knowledge acquisition, which is step number one. Knowledge acquisition is step number one when it comes to mastery. And mastery will lead you to becoming a millionaire. So it's to either trial and error, research, or to find an accelerator. Next up, which is a great companion to knowledge acquisition, which is so overlooked. Chapter two, or principle number two, 
is continual learning. That's right, continual learning. To quote the great Dr. Dennis Kimbrough, life is lesson, and every day you take an exam. Meaning that you should be learning something new every day. Or if you're not learning something new every day, you should be in reinforcing what you're learning. But the concept is continual learning. Especially in this 24-7 digital world, you can't be okay with your old knowledge and not trying to learn new, new things. We in 2021. You can't use 1990 logic. You just can't. It's not going to work. It's too advanced. And I hate to say this, but this is one of the biggest reasons why people get left behind. I think I might even talked about this in, in the book. People get left behind. For those of you who don't know, I'm a former high-performance trainer for $3 billion corporations. So I've trained hundreds of people. I've been on calls with people. I'm talking about with lawyers attorneys, litigation people, executives, you name it. I done been on it with the who's who. And I've also had, I've also been an operations leader as well. Simultaneously while being a corporate, corporate trainer. Well, a high performance corporate trainer. And the continual learning is one of the biggest hindrances that I see from people. It's one of the biggest hindrances I see from people. Why? Because they just don't want to continue to learn. They feel like what they currently have is adequate for where they want to go. It's not going to work. Like I said, especially with the world changing, it's not going to work. And that's why you get left behind. Because you don't want to learn nothing new. You don't want to adapt, which actually I'm getting ahead of myself, which is uh, principle number four. So that's an upcoming segment. But yeah, you don't want to continue to learn. You're like, why? Why should I? What's the benefit to me? Why should I continue to learn? Why is this not sufficient enough? Why is this not adequate enough? You become a why person. Because you don't want to exert no energy. And I hate to say it, but most people are lazy. That's one thing that drives me crazy is lazy people. And then, unfortunately, lazy people are some of the most entitled people that I have ever experienced. But if you are going to be a master... At your craft and in your industry, then you got to continue to learn. Things are always changing. Every quarter is different, every year is different, every decade is different. The way we experienced life in 1990 is not the way we experienced life in 2021. 
You got to continually learn. And if you don't, you get left behind. So, this is just a recommendation. ABL. Always be learning. Next up, which is one of my favorite principles. Simple, optional, but most people either don't do it, they do it wrong, or they do it poorly. And chapter three, or principle number three, is practice. Yeah, that's right. You heard that right. Practice. Masters practice. Millionaires practice. They look forward to it. This is an easy way to excel in your career and to make more money, too. It's practice. But you don't want to practice. We all know the infamous Alan Iverson. Practice. And I did a video of this on, on my YouTube channel. And I talked about it. That was the difference between Allen Iverson and rest in peace to the late great Mamba Kobe Bryant. And just people in general. Practice. You got to show up to practice, man. No, much, no matter how much natural talent you got. You have to practice. And speaking of Mamba, he talked about executing the fundamentals. And he said that was one of his biggest competitive advantages was practice. Because he knew other people was more athletic than him. What happened? He practiced. And he, he would practice three times a day. He understood Compounding, competency, confidence, courage. And to quote the GOAT himself, Michael Jeffrey Jordan. Michael Jordan said, work ethic eliminates fear. And like he said, practice is preparation for game time situations. And it also leads to automaticity. Which is when you just step right into it, it becomes automatic. Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan both said the same thing. They don't get nervous when pressure situations happen. Why? Because they practice for this stuff. And then not only that, if they miss it so well, so what? There's always going to be tomorrow. There's always going to be another opportunity. That means you just go back and practice more on that specific thing. But like Michael Jordan said when he had the interview with Amar Rashad, you got to trust your skills. But the only way you can trust your skills is you got to practice your skills. That's how you get good at it. I'll tell two quick stories, which I, uh, which one of them is on my YouTube channel. But I want to talk about when I was in a band in middle school. I wasn't the best. I was average. Talent-wise, I was average. 
But when I started practicing more, that would made me above average. And I tell a quick story about how I got embarrassed. Yeah, that's why I got embarrassed. Why? Because I was lazy. I wasn't practicing. I never forget it was on a Wednesday. I used to show up to practice every day, but I didn't take it serious. And I was the section leader. And then, too, I also had to set the example. I was section leader. I was interim, but I was section leader. And what happened? I got embarrassed. My band director, rest in peace, late great uh, Bobby Jackson Jr., but he asked us to play a chord. Now, mind you, we didn't have a melody. It was back. We, we were the background. But he went section by section, row by row, seat by seat. He wanted everybody, because he told us to practice this. And I'm being hard-headed, and I didn't. But I didn't think he was going to do that in front of everybody. It was one of the most humbling experiences. And another reason why I carried that into my career. When in corporate. It came my turn to play. And I completely fumbled. Dropped the ball. Terrible. Like I said, I had average talent. But it was terrible. Complete terrible. I'll never forget Charles Humes, who was more talented than me. He played it. I mean, as a section, we, we was the worst playing section for performance that day. But Charles played it a little bit better than I did. Why? Because also he had more experience. But also, he had more talent. So... Charles played it, and he, he played it way better than I did. So, for the rest of that evening, Charles got to sit in my seat, first chair, section of the chair. And I had to sit in the last chair. Even the newbies played it better than I did. And I was embarrassed. But I needed that, though. That made me want to practice. So, what happened? Oh, you made sure I, I, I course corrected that. I was like, no, nah, this ain't going to never happen again. As soon as I got home, practice, 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 practice. For like the next week, all I was doing, eat, breathing, and sleeping, every chance I got, practicing. Even when we was in band class, because I also had Mr. Jackson as a class, not just in the band for performances. I would practice that thing as much as I could. So I think it was like the next week or the or within two weeks, I got my payback. Not only that, not to mention, I got clowned by my fellow bandmates. Like I told you before on a previous episode. I used to catch the local bus home, uh, the local city bus. So I had some of them that stayed in my neighborhood, and they clowned me. They humiliated me. They embarrassed me the whole day. 
So when the two weeks came and it was time for us to play it again, oh, I made sure I got my chair back and everything. I played it almost perfect. I got a stand ovation. They was like, oh, Mr. Jackson, he was like, you getting embarrassed. He's like, that's what you needed then, huh? I kind of laughed. I said, yes, I did. And I never, and they never had a, never had a problem with me ever again. So that's why practice is so important. Tony Robbins has it right. People are rewarded in public for what they practice in private. My version of that is this. If you work hard in private, you will be rewarded in public. But if you lazy in private, you will be exposed in public. I'm going to say that one more time for the people in the back. If you work hard in private, you will be rewarded and also even appreciated in public. But if you lazy or if you don't work hard in private, you will be humiliated and exposed in public. So, to wrap this up, practice, 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 practice. Oh, I almost forgot about the second example. When I was in corporate financial services, that was one of the things that helped me achieve my goal in 15 months. I wanted to be the number one producer. And nobody, I, I, and this goes all ties into the previous segment. I said nobody was going to outlearn me and nobody was going to outwork me. And I, like I said, I achieved my goal in 15 months of becoming the number one producer. But not only that, the point that I'm really trying to make is this. When we had complicated situations that needed to be solved, who did they come to? They came to me. Why? Because I was good at solving these problems. But why was I good at solving these problems? Because I practiced. That's why. That was my competitive advantage. People didn't want to practice. They didn't want to put in the work. That's why. Bonus example. Math is my favorite subject. So I used to love to practice math problems. I used to love that. So when I used to take quizzes and tests, and I used to get A's on almost everything, people looked at me like, man, they looked, they looked at it, they thought I was just smart. Yes, I had talent. Yes, I had attitude for math and for numbers and for formulas. But the glue was practice. No matter how much altitude, talent, and everything I had for numbers and for math, if I did not practice, I would not get the results that I was looking for. So, this is why practice is so important. Practice is one of the cornerstones to mastery. And like we said, mastery is the number one way to becoming a millionaire. Think about it. Practice is so important. NFL. What do NFL players do? They practice before they perform. That's another key, too. That's another gold nugget. Practice comes before performance. 
And before you practice, you should prepare. Or if you want to call it prep work. So, preparation, practice, performance. I'm going to say that one more time. Preparation, practice, performance. That's how that works. NBA, same thing. They prepare, they practice, they perform. Your favorite music artists, they prepare, they practice, they perform. Your favorite actor or actress, they prepare, they practice, they perform. You can't get around the three P's. Preparation, practice, performance. You can't get around that. So, go out and practice. Practice has huge benefits. Huge benefits. It is so, so important for you to practice. Not to get biblical, but it says it in the Bible. Show yourself to be approved. Meaning that, in modern terms, practice. Practice to show that, hey, you know what you're talking about. Or you can back up what you say you can back up. Practice is one of the most social proof ways to show that you know what you're talking about. And I'll end with this last example for this segment. Cooking. I might have said this before, but a lot of people know I'm a terrible cook. I want the product, but I don't want the process. But somebody that really knows how to cook and they tell you they know how to cook, and they can show you they know how to cook, it's because they practice. Chefs, or people that know how to cook, or food enthusiasts, same thing. Preparation, practice, performance. They're good at that. When it comes to cooking, me, not so much. So, I hope this segment really shows to you, shows you the importance of practice. If you treat practice right, practice will treat you right. Treat it like a friend, and it will be loyal like a friend. Last but not least, to round out the fundamental principles of mastery. Chapter 4, principle number 4 is adaptability. That's an everyday thing. A good example of this is the pandemic. If we ain't learn nothing else, we learn the power of adaptability. Going remote, working from home, wearing masks. Some people are vaccinated, some people are not vaccinated. We learn so much about adaptability. We learn about adaptability every day. It's a 24-7 job. The way we communicate is different. Modern dating is different. 
The way we eat, our eating habits are different. Consumer behavior is different. Markets are different. Everything changes. You got to learn how to adapt with the times. And as harsh as this may be, adapt or die. Or adapt and get left behind. You got to be willing to change when things change. If you don't, you're going to struggle. You're going to have a hard time. But you know what you're going to do? You're going to want to blame everybody else on why stuff's not going right. You're going to say it's everybody else's fault. It's their fault. They're the reason why X, Y, Z. No, it's your fault because you don't want to adapt. You come into the office and you got plan A. And you all you do is execute plan A. But then next week they tell you, okay, we're on plan B now. Now you upset. Well, why are we not using plan anymore? Things change, so we got to use plan B. Adapt. And I'm going to tie this and make this even more practical for millionaires, so people that want to be millionaires. Let's start with your income. Your income is going to fluctuate. You're going to have to adapt. Your credit balances. It's going to fluctuate. Your credit utilization rate is going to fluctuate. How much available credit you have is going to fluctuate. It's going to change. Your savings rate. Now, how much you save. That's going to have to adapt sometimes too. Sometimes you have to save more. Sometimes you have to save less. Your actual investments. Sometimes you have to invest more. Sometimes you have to invest less. And more importantly, your expenses. Sometimes you have to adapt your expenses. Sometimes you may be able to take more vacations and do more things and splurge a little bit more and go on more shopping sprees. There are going to be other times where you're going to have to pull it back a little bit or pull it back a lot. But you got to know how to adapt. If you don't, it's going to be a huge challenge for you. A huge challenge for you. I've seen that too in corporate throughout my life. And besides continual learning, and besides people not practicing, adaptability is another thing that people have a hard time with. And I get it. As human beings, we don't like change. We really don't. But that's a part of life. You have to adapt. I mean, your body grows. You progress. You're not a baby anymore. You're not an infant. You're not a toddler. You grow up eventually to become a young man or a young woman. And even into a grown adult. You've adapted. Your body has adapted over the time. And it's going to continue to keep adapting. As long as you continue to breathe on this earth. And like I said, millionaires understand this. Masters understand this. Because
because masses also want to be top producers. And millionaires know, well, some of them at least, they try to adapt so they can stay as millionaires. But a lot of millionaires that go broke, or even billionaires that go broke, they didn't adapt. Usually what might have happened is their expenses was greater than their income. And instead of adapting and changing and saying and cutting stuff back and decreasing their lifestyle expenses, nope. They kept it. Usually in entertainment, usually we say the well will run dry. But a lot of people don't think the well is going to run dry. They think they done created a brand, which they still need more development on their brand. They can always be who they are, and they can always command the compensation in exchange for services and products that they've always been able to do. And it's like, no, you got to adapt. You're not in your prime anymore. You're on a decline. You need to adapt. You got to be planning for this. So, as we round out this section of the episode, remember, always adapt. Things are always changing. That's one of the biggest lessons my mom always taught me. She always told me, Change is only one of the few constants. And how you adapt to it will make the biggest difference. In short, your results, you may want the same results, but you may have to adapt your strategy in order to keep those results. So that you can remain a master and remain a millionaire. Okay, great. Part two. Now that you already know how to become a millionaire, you may set your sights on how to become a billionaire. And as I mentioned in the intro, the number one way to become a billionaire is to become an investor. And most people that become millionaires, they become billionaires by investing and it comes from ancillary resources or streams or income streams outside of what made them millionaires. So that is how they became billionaires. And you can look at every billionaire there was. And you can always see that their investing was at the heart of it. It really is. I remember when I did uh, research, uh, especially shout out to old Facebook friend of mine, Malcolm Tears II, when Malcolm was talking about how real estate is the best way to accumulate wealth. And when I looked at the Fortune, no, when I looked at the Ford 500, and they had a breakdown of billionaires, and the number one way it said to become a billionaire or yeah, number one way to become a billionaire or to accumulate wealth was through investing, through finance, personal, well, through finance, through investing. So here we are, 
years later, and when I was recently doing some research as well for this episode, I noticed that that's true. You can you can see the patterns, you can see the trends. That all billionaires are investors. So, if you're not already a billionaire, time to start learning how to master becoming an investor. One of the first things when it comes to investing is capital, a.k.a. money, or as is formerly known as investment capital. Meaning that when you find an investment that you want to invest in, how much capital are you willing to allocate towards that investment? That is very important when it comes to being a billionaire. The more capital or the more investment that you can invest in, the quicker that you can achieve your goal of becoming a billionaire. So, the first thing when it comes to becoming a billionaire investor is how much capital can you allocate towards this new uh, investment. The next thing when it comes to investing and trying to become a billionaire is risk and time frame. I'll say that again. Risk and time frame. Meaning, how risky or what level of risk are you willing to invest that capital into? And what is your time frame? Now, you have low risk, you have moderate risk, and you have high risk. You also have short-term, mid-term, and long-term. Now, short-term investments could be with up to 12 months. Mid-term investments could be up to five years. And long-term is 10 plus. So at least a decade. But that would also come down to your investment capital and come down to your lifestyle. So you can become a billionaire through whatever risk tolerance you have. You can become a billionaire with low risk. It's going to take you longer, but you still can become a billionaire with low risk. You can become a billionaire with midterm risk. That'll get you a little faster, but you'll still be there. Now, you could also play high risk, high reward as well. And get there as well. But really it comes down to your risk tolerance, which will be based on your paradigm and your perspective. Because if your paradigm perspective is not high, you know, you may put an investment in and it may be long term, but if it go it may it may start slow, but then it may bounce back up to achieve your status. So you can probably have an investment where you put ten million dollars in, it grows to five hundred million, but then you may lose two hundred million. But then in 
eight years, now it's worth $1.2 million. So, also when it comes to risk and, and time frame, you also have to, uh, but risk is more when it associated with volatility. How much volatility, or as to quote Gary Vee, how much stomach do you have? And that's based on your risk tolerance. People also that comes down to, you know, the perspective in the sense that how do you analyze situations? What does it mean to you? If something had, if you have a low tolerance for stuff and you like, you want to have more control over things and you're focused more on security instead of return, then you might want to go low or medium risk. You might have to adjust your time frame. So, and this is also what patients come in at. And I say this, and I say this all the time. Things always take twice as long as you anticipate. And now what I'm really learning, especially during this challenge in pandemic time, it takes four to 12 times as long to get stuff done now. So, you really got to be patient. So, remember... On your way to becoming a being an investor, risk, time frame, and the perception of volatility. Next up on the path of going from a millionaire to a billionaire is opportunity costs. Yeah, that's right. Opportunity cost plays a big, big role. And a millionaire becoming a billionaire investor. So, Joe, what is opportunity cost? Opportunity cost is the cost or cost-benefit analysis of accepting one opportunity over another. So, for example, let's say, for example... Your capital is a million dollars. So let's say you got a million dollars you want to invest in something. Now, you may have an investment A where you can invest a million dollars and you get five million back. But then you may have investment B where you put a million dollars in and you get 20 million. So, but it also... When it comes to opportunity costs, you got to also include the importance of timing in that as well. So, once again, investment A, you put a million in, you get five million. Investment B, you put a million in, you get 20 million. So, there's a cost to that. There's a cost of 15 million dollars. So, when you're investing in things, you got to, now you're not going to fully know because not every investment is going to hit. Some investments are going to perform, some investments are going to underperform, and some investments are going to overperform. So you got to just try to do your due diligence. Also, based on the investments, once again, the capital, the risk, and other financial um, resources and other concepts in order for you to figure out what's the best opportunity cost for you. I use a great example, um, once again. Shout out to Gary Vee. 
Gary V talked about how he finally invested in Uber, right? And he talked about how, you know, he did very well. He made tens of millions or high tens of millions on his investment in Uber. But he said at the beginning stages, he bought a nice um, luxury apartment in New York City. And instead of buying that luxury apartment in New York City, he should have put that into Uber. And he said if he would have put that into Uber, he could have had an extra three to four hundred million dollars. So he bought a, I believe it was a multi-million dollar apartment after, you know, his, you know, his success with, you know, um, Facebook, uh, Twitter, Tumblr, all the early social media platforms. And he could have made an extra three to four hundred million dollars with Uber, but he didn't because he hadn't bought the luxury apartment. Because he had saved, 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 and he was very diligent with his money, so now he wanted to reward himself. So, that's the advantage, or not necessarily, well, yeah, that's the advantage of learning about opportunity costs. Because there's a cost to every opportunity. And like I said, not every opportunity is going to be great. Some opportunities are going to fall, some opportunities are going to rise. Jeff Bezos, ultra billionaire himself, he even said it. There's a lot of investments and opportunity costs at Amazon. But they keep trying to keep innovating. And he said they done had some massive failures. But they've had some massive wins that pay for those failures. So when it comes to opportunity costs, figuring out the right opportunities and determining on whether the opportunity cost is valid or not will, number one, help you become a billionaire, and then, two, it will determine on how fast you do become a billionaire. So, uh, I would highly recommend learning more about opportunity costs. And to end on that, I talked about the importance of time. Timing is huge. Because sometimes you can be too early. Sometimes you can be too late, as in Gary's case. When it came to investing in Uber. But like he said, his losses are his losses. And this is going to be the same for you. Your losses are going to be your losses when it comes to opportunity costs. So, study, learn, and adjust when it comes to opportunity costs on your road to becoming a billionaire. Next segment, which is something that most people are familiar with, ROI, return on investment. This also is conjunction with the last segment regarding opportunity costs. But yeah, definitely as an investor and as a billionaire, that's usually the number one metric is the return on investment. 
the better you are at getting a return on your investment, the better you are at becoming a billionaire, and the faster you are at becoming a billionaire. But also, too, this is not a time to get sloppy. Because that's what some millionaires do on their road to becoming a billionaire. They get sloppy. And sometimes they use a little bit more emotion than, they, than logic when it's clear as day. Now, some some returns on investments are going to be hidden. or Some of them are going to be surprised. Sometimes you're going to have things that you don't, that you think that don't won't, won't turn out big, and they do turn out big. But that's also things that that you think will turn out bad, and they turn out bad. So, you just got to worry about the net, net, the overall. But, yeah, return on investment is huge. Try to get the best return on investment that you can. And once again, it may not be about how fast you become a billionaire, if your main goal is just becoming a billionaire. Some returns. Once again. Some returns are better than others. But. Become a master. At getting great returns. On your investments. Last but not least. And the most important factor. On your way to becoming a billionaire. Is return allocation. I'm going to say that one more time. The most important factor when it comes to going from becoming a millionaire to becoming a billionaire is return allocation. And when I say return allocation, I mean where and how much to reinvest the return. I'm going to say that again. Where and how much to reinvest the return. So... Let's start with where. Now, when you get a return on investment, where you put that return matters. And it's usually going to wind up in one of these five asset classes. So you you made an investment. You got a return. Do you put it in cash? Do you put it in a business, an existing business, Or to start a new business. Do you put it. As. Seed money. Or investment money. Into a new startup. Do you put that return in commodities. Do you put that return in real estate. Either residential or commercial. Or do you put it in paper assets. Such as stock ownership. And this is the biggest key when going from becoming a millionaire to becoming a billionaire is where do you actually put it? Now, of course, I would recommend talking to an attorney in regards to deals and structures. But I would also recommend talking to an accountant for tax purposes as well. But... Knowing where to put them is important, but how much you put that also matters too. Maybe you may take your return and just roll it over and let it compound. Maybe you may say, okay, well, 
I'm going to invest 80% and the other 20% I'm going to take for me. Or maybe you may say, well, 50-50. I'm going to invest this 50, um, 50% of this return. I'm going to invest and the other 50% I'm going to take for me and use for expenses. Or maybe you might, you know, you might go 20-80 and put 20 for reinvestment and take 80% and spend it. Or you might just say, you know what? This is a good investment. I have other investments. I'm just going to take this 100% investment just for me. But it's good having a percentage. Now, some people may say they might use an amount. You can use an amount uh, metric too. But I think a percentage is, it makes it easier. It's less overwhelmed, less decision making. You can just jump right into it if you're going to reinvest. But yeah, return allocation is important. And that's how people usually stay rich. But that's also how people, you know, become billionaires. The unfortunate part is a lot of, or some millionaires, let me clarify that. They'll have return allocation and they'll do the latter, what I mentioned. They're going to take it and blow it on something. But they won't reinvest it. And then later on in the year they're going to wish they had that million dollars. Two million or that ten million that they blew on something for temporary pleasure. So. To wrap all of this up. With. The importance of return allocation. So. Here's the overall recap. In order to become a millionaire, in order to go from a millionaire to a billionaire, you need to have capital. You need to understand risk. Understand opportunity costs. Return on investment. And most importantly, return allocation. I wish you the best of luck. For all you millionaires out there and all you future millionaires on your road to becoming an investor billionaire. Thank you for listening to the Paradise and Perspectives podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time out to listen to this podcast. We really hope that you got some value out of this podcast and that this podcast will assist with you changing your paradigm and changing your perspective so that you can live the life that you was meant to live. And we look forward to seeing you in another podcast episode. Thank you and have a good day.